Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and Franklin is here with us today. Say hi, buddy. So (laughs) so cute. (laughs) So if you hear the gnome noises, I apologize, but he doesn't like to sit in my lap while I record all the time anymore, and he's very old. So um, I know the noise is, you know, it's hard to ignore, but um, I don't like to tell him no anymore. He's like 100 years old in Chihuahua years. So um, he's kind of mean. So hopefully that means he's got 100 more. <laughs> anyway, um, my guest today is the wonderful Dr. Laura Pletz. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I, I love uh, I love that he's joining us. Makes me yes. happy. He'll get annoyed with me about um, in a few minutes and want to get down and then he might want to get up again. And, you know, it's the struggle of being a chihuahua. So mm-hmm. um, that's course. the great thing about a vet podcast, though. Oh, yeah. Dogs uh, <laughs> are always welcome. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. So, uh, Laura, you were recently actually we recently um, did a little interview with you for a new stat uh, by mm-hmm. a written interview um, because you were one of our 15 women to watch for Women's History Month. Um, which I love. Uh, yeah. That was such a great group. And um, it's so hard to choose wonderful women in this profession because it's so chock full of them. But you definitely um, are are moving and shaking. And, and we were having a conversation before this where you were telling me about your kind of trajectory and how it hasn't been a straight line. And I definitely can relate to that. Um, and I feel like that usually takes you good places. So um, I'm excited to have this chance to talk to you. Yeah, Laura. Me too. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now and how you got here? Yeah, of course. Um, gosh, you know, I've been doing this veterinary thing now for 23 years, which kind of blows my mind. Um, but, you know, I started in private practice here in St. Louis area, which is still my home. Um, honestly thought that's what I was going to do. I, I thought that's the one thing you do when you graduate veterinary school. You know, you go work in a practice and I was going to own a practice and I did that. I was one of the owners the last five years of of my time there. And then I made the transition to industry, went to Royal Canaan to work in, in various leadership roles, leading their technical services team and then the field veterinary team. And then, you know, full circle, uh, January of this year, I came back to the practice space with Blue Pearl in a leadership role. And honestly, like I kind of had this moment um, towards the end of my time at uh, Royal Canaan, that I was like, what is, what am I going to do next? You know, what's, what's the next path here? Um, and I didn't have the greatest answer. So I, but I knew that how much I loved the leadership piece. And so started talking to some of my colleagues at Blue Pearl about, you know, I'd love to bring that back to the, you know, the clinic space. And so it's been really rewarding to do that and does feel like, like I mentioned that full circle moment. Um, and man, there's such a need for leadership um, and a passion for yes. it in the, in the, in the practice space, no matter what company or what practice you're talking about. This tough yeah. time right now in veterinary it, medicine. It really is. And, um, you know, I feel like the, the idea that people leave, you know, you've heard, heard the expression, people don't leave bad jobs. They leave bad managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like there's bit, there has not been enough emphasis on good leadership, good management, um, 
or leadership versus management in veterinary medicine. We tend to promote people who have been there the longest or who, Mm -hmm. you know, want a raise and we can't give them a raise for doing the same job. So we promote them. And it's really hard because then they don't, you know, they, it's not their fault. They don't necessarily have the resources to lead well. Um, and that definitely has been a factor in my career as well as just is leaving because I didn't feel supported by leadership, um, in some of the roles that I had. Mm -hmm. So it's such an important thing that you're doing. And we'll talk more about that today because today our subject is developing leaders in vet med, which is something I'm super excited about. Um, but I have a personal question to ask you, uh, This is my one of my favorite questions to ask people because you can learn a lot about them. If you uh, had an autobiography, what would the title be? Oh gosh, well, you know, I I think that the title would be very simple. Um, it would be "What's Next" and where this comes from is, and it's funny. I'm thinking back to the story I was just telling you, and and I actually asked myself that question in my story. Um, but it comes from one of my favorite TV shows of all time, the West Wing, where they would always, when they're discussing these big items and their priorities and different things, it's always like, okay, we're done with that. What's next? Um, and I think it comes down to that kind of growth mindset is where mm-hmm. that fits in for me. It's like, you know, I just, I don't know what's around the corner, but I'm interested to find out. Um, and I don't necessarily have it all planned out. And I think that's the fun of it. Yes. That definitely um, is me to a T as well. And Mm -hmm. it took a while to embrace that though, because like, like you said, in vet med, we kind of are trained to think like, okay, you get out of school you go into practice, especially if you're doing small animal, you go into Mm -hmm. small animal, private practice. And um, if you didn't do an internship and a residency, then that's just what you're going to do forever. And Mm -hmm. your goal should be to own, you know, it feels like a lot of people are critical of associates who don't want to own. and then that's, you should be happy with that. Then eventually you sell your practice, you retire, end of story. Yep. And um, man, it just doesn't go that way for a lot of us. And then we feel like it's, it's us, you know, that we're the problem, but that growth mindset definitely um, can look different for different people for sure. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, I think if I go back to like, it was very clear what my path and my goal was all the way through vet school. Like that was I had that figured out from the time I was very young. I think I was five when I started saying I wanted to be a veterinarian, which is mm-hmm. common. Yes. People decide really early in this particular profession. And so up until that point, I did have that clear, like, this is what it's going to look like. But then after that, you start to go, hmm, I don't think this is how it works forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not as those goals aren't as clearly defined as they are like, you know, with school and finishing vet school and getting that first job. And then it starts to get a little bit, there's way more options. Yeah. And leadership offers a lot of those options for people who don't want to leave the field, but want to grow. And maybe that growth looks a little bit different than that traditional school associate, you know, practice owner path or um, credential technician, even vet tech specialist path. Um, Leadership can look so different. And oh, yeah those skills can be developed from even went before you're a leader by title. And I think that's really important too. So, um, so for your job right now, Mm -hmm. you're a group medical director, correct? And can you tell me about what that job looks like? What do you love most about it? Yeah. So, you know, if you think about 
what my my true truly my job is is it's to be this sort of the medical director um, for right now I have five hospitals to start there'll probably be additional ones added at some point but so very involved in decisions around medical quality and how we're ensuring that we're doing a good job with that because it's so important to us as an organization but the biggest piece is how do I find the leaders within these hospitals get them into their positions, help them grow, um, make sure we have a deep bench. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're going to value leadership, you can't just find a leader and then be done. You've got to have a strong bench, a strong team, um, because life life takes us different places. Life moves us sometimes. Sometimes we decide we want to do something different. Leadership is not going to be for us. So that's, that's really a big priority for me. Um, and until that is in place, making sure that my teams in those hospitals have that consistent leadership presence um, from me. Um, and then certainly that support will look a little different once once you have those medical directors in place. So um, Blue Pearl is specialty in ER, right? Mm-hmm, correct. Um, and you are not a specialist. Um, That's right. <laughs> um, That's right. So I was wondering what that's like um, to be mm-hmm. a medical director and be, you know, have your territory be populated by specialists and mm-hmm. and critical care vets. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of different of a different approach that I take because um, while we are peers in terms of veterinary medicine, like we've done very different things in our mm-hmm. career, and I approach it just like I do any other time that I've. I've been a leader. I, I believe the way you're most successful is surrounding yourself by people that are way smarter than you and, yeah. and figure out how to get out of their way and yeah. solve, you know, solve some of the barriers for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember feeling, you know, like a little intimidated, like, I don't know some of these things, you know, I would be coming to them to ask for these really complicated internal medicine or, you know, surgical, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. I would be coming to them, but ultimately they don't need me to tell them how to practice. I mean, it's a very clinician-driven culture. I need to understand what some of the barriers are for them to be able to do their best every day and feel like they can do the best for their patients every day. So that's really my job. So once once we understand that of each other, that you're the expert, I value that. Um, let me help you be able to do the, your job the way you want to do it. That's fantastic. And and that's what I was hoping you'd say and answer that question because um, you know, I know when I was coming up as an associate, I kind of felt like a medical director, just by that title, no matter what kind of medical director they were, they had to know the most and they had to know all the mm-hmm. medicine and they had to be able to do all the surgeries. And like that was right. that was what a medical director meant was you were creating medical policy for everyone to follow. And that's just not always the case. I mean, as a group medical mm-hmm. director, it sounds like you're mostly responsible for supporting the people right. who who help to do that at their individual hospitals. And that's really cool because just because you might be the best surgeon or have the most knowledge about how to treat difficult endocrine cases, uh, God love them, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, does not right. mean that you have extensive training in leadership. And sometimes that and in fact oftentimes you don't because you've been spending all of your time becoming a specialist in medicine mm-hmm. um and i think that's so important to have that kind of support to develop those leadership skills to go along with the medical and surgical skills um that you might mm-hmm. have be very comfortable with at that point 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting to me too. Um, and this isn't, I'm not speaking about my organization. This is everything I've seen because go back to my time at Royal Canaan. I was in all types of clinics, you know, you name it, specialty, general practice, emergency, you name it. Um, and I think that as we've grown and we see these larger structures for organizations and need that leadership, we tended to go, oh, this is that doctor that just go, 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 you know, really, really um, successful doctor, super smart, like wh- whoever that person in the practice, that's going to be the medical director. And it's the wrong way to look at it. Yeah. You know, it has nothing to do with who is a very productive clinician, who's a really amazing doctor, um, diagnostician, like any of those things. Sometimes there's overlap, but it's a it's a totally separate skill set and desire. And it's just like any other type thing. When you're a really strong individual performer and you go into your first leadership role, there's a lot of things that made you a great individual performer that yeah. you have to let go of yeah. to be a strong leader. Cause you're you're like, let me do it. Like I'm the action oriented, and your job becomes to get things done through other people, which is an entirely different skill set. Yes. The group project skill set is completely different from the um, individual term paper skill set. Yes. Yes. 100%. It's funny because uh, I feel like that is something that um, because we've become a culture where it's so ingrained that like the best doctor becomes the leader or the most skilled Mm -hmm. technician gets promoted to manager that the rest of the team expects that as well. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about thinking back to practices where I've worked and thinking about what would it have been like if the best communicator Mm -hmm. were the leader, the person who had the most, the highest EQ and who, um, you know, had that sort of either training or natural ability to help people and support them more than sort of Mm -hmm. tell them what to do um, or say, well, why can't you do it? I can do it. (laughs) That's always a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I feel like that would have made a much more successful team if the team accepted it. And that's a whole other ball game, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, Is changing the culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's very different. Um, and it's funny. Um, it's changed a lot over the years. And it's so different to see it now in the clinic space. So I think about my time at Royal Canaan, when I would sit in meetings and, and talk to people or connect with my team members on one on one basis, and the things I would look for in leadership, it's a, it's a lot different in that space than it is in the clinic. It's, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be at a doctor's meeting or a staff meeting and you're seeing a lot of conversation around one particular subject and everybody can get so attached onto whatever they're focused on. But if you, if you look, sometimes it's the the great listener. Who's that person that's taking it all in, trying to understand, and then comes back to like a, a group-based solution, not just like, this is my issue. This is my issue. And I'm stuck on it. Um, yeah. You know, and like you said, or the communicator that, you know, just knows how to bring everybody in and get, get that feedback. Just totally different. Totally different. Do you think um, like you're, you know, you've been in a leadership role now for a while at various Mm -hmm. um, in various positions. 
were you always a leader? Like, were you kind of a natural leader in school and that's been something that's followed you or did you have to develop those skills? So I think I always had that tendency, but I also had to learn how to do it effectively Mm -hmm. because I could also very much be at times. And when I was much more inexperienced as a leader, um, it was sort of, I just uh, do it for you. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. If you want something you know? done right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, just a little bit. Um, and I'm sure we can get into some personality types and stuff. And <laughs> that will that will explain itself very yeah. well. But I mean, I was just, I'm a very assertive person. I like I see it. I try to start latching onto it. So I had to learn that that's not your job mm-hmm. anymore as a leader. Um, I had to learn the. Um, I've done various versions of this over the years, but asking people when they come to you th- with things that my favorite version of it right now is, do you need me to hear you, help you or handle it? Which one? Ah, you know, I love that. Because you people come to you for those. Those are kind of the three big buckets. Yeah. Um, and what I find is in my earlier days, when I always defaulted to just handle it, I wasn't allowing them to grow. Yeah. Ever, that, you know, I just, so I had to change that. I feel like that's a good rule of thumb for relationship conversations as oh, well. Yeah. It's like, are you any relationship? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like any relationship. Yeah. Your friend calls and they're, they're upset. Like mm-hmm. what, what is my role here? And it's fine either any yeah. way that you need me to be, but yeah, it's good to have those expectations. Um, yeah, that's definitely true. It's interesting because I was a very shy kid. I wasn't a leader mm-hmm. at all. I didn't like to speak in class. I didn't like to take charge of anything. And now like you cannot get me to shut up. And um, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I think, you know, my dad is like the debate king, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I think he's a trial lawyer. And I think that the uh, genes yeah. just started to express themselves a little bit late. Mm-hmm. But um, but it it is definitely the act of listening and taking a step back and letting people figure it out is sometimes really hard because as you know, the type a in me just wants to like, make sure it's done. Um, So I completely get that. Have you ever done any kind of personality or communication style testing like disc or strengths finder? Yeah. 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 I've I've done those. Um, It's funny. I was probably 10 or so years ago, straight D all the way, like about as much of a D on disc as you can be. I've drifted over towards the eye a little bit. Mm, Yeah. Um, Same. So that's interesting, but, um, you know, and then, you know, Myers-Briggs, it's the ENTJ, you know, the, which they'll, you know, it'll say classic leader, but it also is like, you gotta, you gotta tone it down for some folks. It's too much. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how those change over time too. Mm-hmm. You know, you think mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to be this, this is who I am and that's how I'm going to be forever. And when I, I was one year out of school and I went to work for VCA and they took you to a, like a new leaders workshop, you know, mm-hmm. and we did the whole full disc assessment. And then we mm-hmm. all got into groups and I was like super D like D, 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 which yeah. for people who are not familiar with disc D is like, um, sort of dominant. Um, mm-hmm. So you're the the natural leader. You like to sort of get things done. You don't like to mess around too much with the small talk, just like mm-hmm. get her done. And um, if it's not working, tell me why so we can fix it. Yeah. And um, since then, I'm pretty much equal DI. 
but mm-hmm. it's been an evolution for sure. And the S and C are like non-existent. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I is more of an influencer. Like, um, you know, you can, you, you want to, um, when you speak to groups, want to like get them kind of hyped up and inspired and excited. And um, it's more of a collaborative type of leader, I think, than D. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And we do StrengthsFinder too at uh, at AHA. And um, mm-hmm. that's been really enlightening because um, the strengths are more about, you know, are more nuanced, I think. Um, so, yeah. yeah those, are, those, are, those are always fun. And it's, yeah. you know, and it's fun to see where your team is. Like, I, mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed that, the mapping, just so you can see where everybody is, try to understand each other a little bit better. Those are always a lot of fun. Yeah. And even if you're not a huge believer in doing like a personality test, it's kind of fun to do this as a group activity, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of puts everybody on equal footing and says, okay, everybody's got things they're good at. My, you know, my leader is not is not good at everything either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. Um, okay, well, so what do you think? You know, you you were talking about things that you love. Um, you know, you, I'm sure that you love seeing people kind of come out of their shells as leaders and mm-hmm. um, figure out how to lead well. What about some of the hardest things about developing new leaders? Yeah, I mean, I do think the hardest. Sometimes one of the hardest parts is getting some really strong leaders to see themselves that way. Like mm-hmm. that's the first hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had multiple conversations where I'm the one that brings it up. You know, they've, they've not come and said, Hey, I want to be, I think I want to be in a leadership role, but I say, you know, I've seen something in you. Um, Have you ever thought about this? And you just see the look on their face, like, no, I haven't. And, and, and sometimes those first conversations I've learned, I remember it used to be very disappointing. I'd be like, well, I guess I misread that one, (laughs) but I was, that's not true. Um, because what happens is it's, you let it sit for a bit. The next time you talk to them, it's all, it's a whole different, like it, it may take several conversations, but just to see that light start to come on. I think that's, um, that's a lot of fun. That's my favorite. But I I think then when you get people on board and then they're trying to figure this out, the conflict resolution piece Mm. is a really challenging one to coach people through. Yeah. Um, that ultimately comes around to making sure that they're really strong um, in terms of empathy and that EQ, you know, understanding perspective. Um, that's one of the big crucial things to me is leaders really have to be able to step back and see like the big picture, the perspective, the whole perspective of what's happening um, and not just one thing, because mm-hmm. In, pra- in the clinic environment too, like it's complex. There's so yeah. much happening. Um, there's so many different services, especially hospitals like I'm working with right now, different services, different personalities, different ways of doing things. Um, you have to be able to step back and say, okay, let's not just every time somebody comes to you with something, put a little bandaid on here and here and there, which I think is what we tend to do when we have that, just, I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. But then you it's not, it's not a good approach. you eventually you're like, okay, well, we've uh, put a lot of bandaid on a lot of little things, but we've got some things we need to address holistically here. This AHA podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit understands that all veterinary teams are busier than ever. 
To help patients get the care they need, the CareCredit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere on their own smart device. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on that smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs, whether it be a general, referring, or specialty hospital, as long as they accept the Care Credit credit card. Do people ever surprise you when you might not have seen that they could be a good leader and they really step up? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's funny. You know, it's the good character arc. If you get to be around people long enough, you see them really grow as a person. Mm-hmm. And um, when they when they reach that point that they're ready to take it on and show you that, that's pretty exciting too. So if there's somebody coming, we're talking about people who are reluctant to see themselves as leaders. Mm-hmm. There are definitely a lot of those in vet med. Um, mm-hmm. I know most associate vets that I know don't think of themselves as leaders. Whereas when you're a mm-hmm. veterinarian in a clinic, you're yeah. you are already in a leadership position, whether you like it or not, and whether it's ever called that. Um, but yes. a lot of people just are like, I didn't come here to do that. <laughs> like, I right. just want to treat my patients. Right. Um, but what about the opposite? Like, if you have somebody who's really amped for a promotion, mm-hmm. for a management position, for a team yep. lead, um, and you're like, I don't know about that. Like, are there steps or ways that you can sort of gauge whether that will work or how yeah. much time do you give somebody? Like, what kind of support does that person need? And, and is it always a yes, mm-hmm. just with qualifications? If they want to lead, mm-hmm. we can support them into it. I think for me, because that that will absolutely happen sometimes, that there are some people that are very um, driven by making that next move or, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's kind of that it we're, we're very ambitious people. Like we- yeah. The what's next to, question. Exactly. Um, so you will occasionally get someone who's decided, okay, that's what I have to do next because I've tapped out here and I'm a person who wants to keep moving. That's not a good motivation for being a leader, (laughs) right? Like that's not at all. Um, so what I tend to do with those is I, I really want to understand why do they want to be a leader? So that, that becomes a conversation. Um, and under and understanding that, and I've had to have some conversations that were I tried to be very clear, but I thought it was the most kind approach because I just wasn't hearing anything other than I want the next layer of job, mm-hmm. which is not going to make them happy or the people working for them in a right. good. It's not going to be a good setup. So you know, if if there's if there's some motivation in there that's driving it, that's about some of the right things to move a team forward then absolutely let's let's get on the development piece and work on that um but if it's really just about i've tapped out and is you know at this level so i want the next layer of job not not a good enough reason yeah you can level up professional skills in right. that case maybe like technical skills yeah. um without necessarily being responsible for other people's success and happiness. Yeah. I, oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and listen, I, I felt fell into this trap at my, of my own at times, because when I'm trying to figure out what, what do I want to do? What's the next opportunity? Um, when I was at Royal Canaan started to realize, I think I've kind of done the, as much as I can do in this role. 
I've evolved it. I've grown as much as I'm going to grow in this role. Um, And I started thinking about what were my options. And sometimes it was like, oh, well, I should be working towards chief medical officer somewhere someday or or some other, you know, role like that, that's like charting this course. And it just never felt good to me to look at it like that. I, so I stepped back and started to think about what do I enjoy? What do I contribute the most? Where are the places I want to grow? And that's how I started to choose what opportunities I would look at. It wasn't about being on some trajectory. Mm-hmm. I just found that not helpful at all. And I think that's sometimes a little bit of that mindset that people might come to you if they're really gung-ho, I want this job, but I can't tell you why I'm a good fit or what I hope to grow, how I hope to grow in this role. Yeah. That's a, a great segue into my next question, which was going to be about um, you know team leaders, people who are already practice managers or practice owners who want to help their team members develop um, into leaders. It sounds like asking that question, like why, what, mm-hmm. Um, is a really good start. (laughs) But, you know, do you have other top tips for for people like that who can't have somebody like you come to the practice and say, okay, here's what I would look for. Here's the kind of training I would give them. Like um, just a few things that anybody Mm -hmm. who's a leader right now could do to help develop their team. I think the first thing that's so important is real, honest communication. Mm -hmm. Um, We had this comes up for me every so often, but we were having a team call last week and we like to share just some little development tips that have helped us over the years. It's just something we do. And granted, this is my peers um, more than my team that's reporting to me. And I brought out the oldie but goodie from Brene Brown of clear as kind. Yeah. Um, It's so simple and so true. And so hard sometimes. It's so hard. (laughs) Yes. Like when somebody's really struggling and they're just making some poor choices and you, you empathize with them and you understand they've got a lot going on and you you sort of see the why behind it, right? But you've got to tell them the impact it's having and you've got to help them, help them to see that. And it's a really tough conversation sometimes. But I think any leader, if they're dancing around things and being vague and hoping people get it, like that's the first thing to stop. You've got to be very clear and kind and open and honest about it. That's key. Okay. So follow-up question to that. What if you're a team member and your your leader is not being clear? How can you, and you know that, like, Mm -hmm. you know enough to know that. And you're like, I don't really know what's expected of me here, or I just need to get a straight answer about how I'm doing. Like, I need to get feedback. Mm-hmm. How can you communicate that to your to somebody who's technically your superior? Hey, I don't like that word, but I know, right. Well, this is the challenge. Like I think some some people it takes a while to um have that trust and and feel safe enough to go to them and ask a question like that. Um, and so this is like a two-part thing. Like that person's in a tough spot. Um, but it's even tougher if that leader has not created that safe space and that area where we, where you have that trust that, you know, you can say, I need to understand what's expected of me. I'm a little fuzzy on that. And it's, you know, it's a little stressful for me. 
I want to make sure I'm delivering. So I think, you know, I, it's not a criticism. It's, it's that I want to understand what's yeah. happening yeah. and what I'm supposed to be doing. And is this working? Is it not working? Um, I just need to know because I want to learn and grow and I want to deliver what the, what the business needs. Um, and I just don't know what you expect of me. Yeah. That's it's so hard, but it is like a muscle and the more Mm -hmm. you do it and the more you just, you learn how to, to be clear and, and civil, like nobody's saying like demand, but Mm -hmm. being clear and kind, um, is it's a skill and it is developable, (laughs) but it is, it is hard. You have to do it in order to develop it. Well, and, you know, coming back to what I said about the leaders establishing trust, I fully recognize. So I'm just wrapping up my first 90 days in this new job, right? Mm -hmm. So I came in totally new. Most of them don't know me from anywhere, right? The absolute first thing I had to do was just, you know, get to know these folks, show them who I am. Like, don't, that's another thing that leaders have to be a little bit vulnerable and Mm -hmm. open and let their people know, like, I'm not perfect. Um, This is how I handle things, you know, be honest. Um, But you've got to establish that trust before you can start making a lot of other, you know, progress with things, because it's hard to have that open space until you do that. So you have to be, spend a lot of time listening and learning and understanding the situation um, and make sure that there's, there's trust there when you have to have an unfortunate conversation. You know, one of the things that's great for me is when I want them to know this is going to be a tough conversation. Let's work on, let's align together and move forward. Um, But then it's really important for them to know that I'm done with that. It comes back to my autobiography, I guess. I'm like, what's next? We're going to move on from this. I'm not dragging this around. Everybody makes mistakes. Move on. Yeah. That's another characteristic of D's, right? No dwelling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. On to the next thing. Um, Yep. Okay, so I'm gonna my next question for you was about um, you know team members who want to take a more active role in leadership, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna put this in context, thinking about when in the past when I asked my practice owner if I could use my CE allowance um, mm-hmm. to go to a conference that talked about management, leadership, communication rather than medical skills, mm-hmm. and he said no, <laughs> and. Um, I was an associate, you know, there was Mm -hmm. no room for growth in that role. Um, He wasn't Mm -hmm. looking for partners. He wasn't looking for a team lead, but I felt really strongly that that was something that would make me happier at my job and better Mm -hmm. at my job. And, um, and I was really disappointed and I went anyway, but I paid for it myself and a whole other story. That was the uncharted veterinary conference in 2017, the first one, and it changed my whole darn life. So Mm -hmm. that was the best money I ever spent. But anyway, um, but you know, how can people go about this? If like, so say you're a practice owner and somebody comes to you with this request or you're a team member and you, you know, this is something you want to do and you're, you feel so passionate about these things, but you don't know how to go about getting them Mm -hmm. um, because you're not sure that's going to be supported. How can you broach those conversations? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of it comes back to being very clear about why it's important to you. And, and it, and it takes a little courage to push back a little bit. Sometimes Mm. Um, I think the answer that you got is very unfortunate. 
So I kind of want to coach both sides here. I'm trying yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, first and foremost, like be a little bit more open. Um yeah. and you know, understand that it's important for human beings to feel like they're growing. Yeah. Um, and it may not be exactly what you want to see them grow in, but you gotta let people do that. So I think it's really just um, you know, whether it's a leader having a conversation or an associate needing to talk to their leader. Help me understand. That's my favorite question. My favorite way to start things. Help me understand why this is a non-starter. Like, yeah. can we talk about ways that this could benefit the clinic? And it comes back to a point you made, even if there wasn't an obvious, and I think that's probably the problem, right? Is why do I need to pay for this? I don't need someone to be a leader. Um, but understanding that we all are leaders on that floor every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyday leadership is something that Wavaldi's always talked about. And that's exactly why it's what you said earlier. Um, everybody, every veterinarian is, is stepping in as a leader at some point in time um, and sharing, talking about how those, those learnings will translate, not just about getting a different job. It's about growing as a, as an individual and how I show up at work. Yeah. So, so true. Um, and you know, on the one hand, I'm glad he said no. Cause I, I left mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to a right. different clinic ultimately, not because of that decision, but that was a symptom of the reasons why leaving mm-hmm. was the right, was the right call. And that training has sunk in, you know, I went to uncharted every year after that. And, um, now I, I have us, you know, I am, the manager of a small team at AHA. And I absolutely believe that my job is to support them and not mm-hmm. manage them um, because they all do their jobs way better than I could. I don't have any clue how to do some of the mm-hmm. things they do. Yeah, and right. um, and I just want to make sure they have all the things that they have, that the, all the resources that they need to do those jobs and be happy at their jobs. And um, at least as far as that's under my control. And um, I definitely learned a lot over the years about the kind of leader I did not want to be. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's also important. Um, So, you know, we were just talking about the Uncharted conference. Um, I know the AHA con this year is going to have great, um, you know, practice management and and leadership and well-being um, talks as well as tons of clinical stuff. But I was wondering if you had resources specifically that you love for developing leaders, either for people who want to help their leaders develop or people who are interested in leading better? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of good, um, there's a lot of good authors out there. I mean, going way back, I think some of the first things that I read that really intrigued me were some of the things from Simon Sinek. I love Adam Grant. Yeah. This perspective on how to approach things. I did do, um, I did a course, and this is this is not necessarily accessible for everyone, but I did a course at um, Cornell, a certificate program with for women specifically in leadership. Because listen, it's that different. One. Yeah, you know, it's it's a different approach, and there's some some situations that you deal with that are a little bit different. Um, you know, I've I've trying to think. I'll listen to some podcasts every now and then. I'm not I'm not like fangirl of any particular podcast from a leadership standpoint, it's more topic based. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times I'll say, okay, I've got some interesting conflict happening. What are some things I would just list, 
you know, talking, listening to some people discuss some of those things, but probably my best advice on how to grow is to develop a network of other leaders that you respect and trust. Um, Every time over book, course, anything, calling up a person that I know is a, is an amazing leader and maybe approaches things a little differently than I do sometimes mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. You had this situation. What do you think? And talking it out. That's probably been the best from yeah. a learning standpoint for me. That's such great advice. Um, we always, I think in vet med, think of networking as a dirty word and mm-hmm. it we're not talking about shallow schmoozing and like passing your business card around to everyone. We're talking about like forming real connections. You don't need 200 people. You just need a few that you really trust who know you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with that because I think this having that sort of net, the safety net of people who can catch you before you get too low, um, mm-hmm. where you're like, I'm failing, I'm an imposter, I don't deserve to be here. Well, how dare I think about being able to do this ever? And they can really lift you up. And that could be somebody mm-hmm. outside of vet med. Like it doesn't have to be a veterinary person right. too. Um, I I love that. And I'll put links in the show notes to um, the resources, the authors that you mentioned um, Brene Brown, you mentioned, and yes. I love her book, um, mm-hmm. Dare to Lead, which mm-hmm. is about this. But I can say that the thing that is making the most difference for me as a new manager um, is is just reading about communication and vulnerability, not even in a leadership sense. Mm-hmm. Because going back to what you said, like that vulnerability is so, it, that's a superpower. And mm-hmm. I think that's something where women as leaders, can really excel because we are taught from a young age that vulnerability is okay. And it can be so much harder for people identifying as men to, to let that vulnerability show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we sort of have that a lot of us naturally because it's been allowed um, to various extents, I think, depending on the person and their upbringing, but that relatability and authenticity is so important. It's something I've really appreciated about mm-hmm leaders that I've met. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that when I think about developing myself as a veterinarian, right, the the things I had to learn and how did I grow my skill set there? It was very different than growing as a leader. Being a growing as a leader is really working on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like it, I mean it's so it true. really is. Um and you know, so I, and I think maybe that's why it was, it's been such a wonderful thing to me because it's very engaging to, you know, to, to have the space to do that, to like, to try to grow and learn and be a better person. Um, you know, being a parent has helped me <laughs> as a leader. Um, yeah. It's the ultimate leadership position where it's oh, never about you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, some of the hard things, you know, when I shared that I'm a, I wanted to fix it for everybody. Like that's absolutely something I had to let go of with my kids at a point. Like there's when they're young, you know, they're junior and senior in high school now. So they very much been in this life stage that I'm like, I can't, if I keep doing everything for you, I'm not going to put a functional human being out into the world, you know? Yeah. So you have to get comfortable letting them fail sometimes and, and letting them figure it out and be there to support and, and have their back. It's the same way with leadership. 
if you don't do that with your team, they're not going to grow. Um, you're not going to have a great bench of leaders because you're you're going to you're going to you know you're diminishing their opportunities for growth. Yeah, very wise. <laughs> and I know a lot of parents, I don't have kids, um, just a chihuahua and the cat, <laughs> but a lot of, um, you can be a lot more D with the chihuahua mm-hmm. and the cat than you yeah. can be with kids, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I know a lot of people listening are relating to you um, pretty hard right now. And <laughs> I hope that, I really hope that as a profession, you know, having leaders like mm-hmm. you who are so invested in the success of the profession through developing that deep bench mm-hmm. um, can help shift the whole industry, you know, the whole veterinary profession um, for the better, because it really is something we've been missing. And um, I'm so excited to see more people focusing on this now. It's, I mean, it makes my my Brene Brown nerd heart really, like fangirl mm-hmm. heart, very yeah. happy, but um, it is something we desperately need. So thank you for all the hard work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun. I really yeah. enjoy it. Good. Um, well, Laura Platts, thank you so much for your time today and your wisdom. And again, I'll drop some resources uh, also for Wivaldi in the um, yeah. in the description for this episode. Um, but as always, email me if you uh, have any questions for Laura or if you want to have um get more information about Wivaldi, just let me know and I'll make sure that your questions get answered. And um, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It was so much fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.